Romans chapter six, verse number two, the Bible says, how shall we, the context in Romans chapter six, verse two, the we would be who? That would be us as born again Christians. And what is in view is uh, the next part we'll read that are dead to sin. That's us as Christians. We are dead to sin. We're not dead in sin anymore. Uh, live any longer therein. So we have a context that we're getting into on living. And we don't have a glorified body yet, do we? We have a body of flesh that when our soul got saved, our flesh didn't get saved. So this is a fair question. We wouldn't be asking this question if we had a glorified body, but we don't have that yet. So how are we going to live? That's the whole idea that's brought about in Romans chapter 6. And the message this morning and the whole context of Romans chapter 6 is to proclaim. God is proclaiming to all of us. We, all of us, we as Christians can live a victorious Christian life now here on earth saved, even though we have a vile body of flesh that we still struggle with. We can live victoriously for Jesus Christ. Verse number three, know you not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Verse four, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Here it is. Even so, we, that's us as Christians, also should do something. This is God giving the child of God an expectation. And that expectation is that we should walk in newness of life. What are you doing down here? What am I doing down here? We should be living to serve Christ. Live to serve, serve, serve. Every person in the body of Christ should be served. Look at verse five. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse number six, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Now here's another should, that henceforth we should not serve sin we can live a victorious christian life here's what you should do here's what we should not do we should live unto god we should not serve sin that's the contrast and the and the context of this all has to do with the present life that we have now with god back up to verse five look at verse five for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Did Christ rise from the grave? We should rise from sin. Now, we don't, we talked about it earlier. We don't have that glorified body yet. But right now, here on earth, when Christ rose again, it's newness of life. We, in like manner, have been risen again. We walk now in a newness of life. Christ did that for us. 
How can we do that? This is the whole, you know, ping pong ball in our brain when we get to this. Well, how can we do that? Because we have this body of flesh. How in the world can I live for Christ when I'm in this body of flesh? It's easier to just understand it as, well, look, we know someday it's going to be all right. Someday we're going to have a glorified body. And at that time, yeah, then I'll do all the, well, no. Romans 6 is saying, look, hold on. Yeah, that's coming. But right now, how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? Especially, look at verse 2. It's, it's not really, well, let's look at verse 2. It says, we are dead to sin, right in the middle of the verse. Look at verse number 3, right at the end. Into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Look at verse number 4. In the middle, that like is Christ, or, or I'm sorry, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. At the end of the verse, the middle of the verse, raised up from the dead. See that? Dead, death, death, dead. Look at verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. Look at verse number 6. Knowing that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. You know what you got to tell your body of flesh? I have to tell my body of flesh, you have been destroyed. Your flesh has been destroyed. That's what you've got to tell it every single day. But you say, okay, yep, yeah, yeah, but it's not. <laughs> it's still there. Verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. You're free. Verse number eight. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Now, we're going to get that resurrected body someday. Look at verse number nine. Knowing that Christ being, look at it. Raised from the death, from from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion. We have to wreck it. Well, we'll get ahead of myself. Our flesh, we have to tell it every day. You've been destroyed. You got to do it. Verse number 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Verse number 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, people think that reckon is a southern word. I reckon. Came down here. Everybody says, I reckon. And but it's a Bible word. It's a Bible word. And it's always interesting to me when these things come up because nobody comes down south and tries to change the language. You know, you really shouldn't say reckon. It's kind of an archaic word. And, uh, you know, something we should really use something easier for people to understand. It, it doesn't make sense to me because they, because they, they don't do that in the south. but They'll do that with the word of God and say, well, don't you think that's a word that's hard for people to understand? And so they want to change it. It's odd to me. Why don't we just leave the Bible as it stands and just read it and just get along with it? Same way as if you were to move down south. You just get along <laughs> with everybody. Pretty simple. 
But here's what I want to get to, the reckoning. You've got to reckon your flesh the same way I have to reckon my flesh dead. You got to do it. Every day, you got to reckon it dead. You got to count it dead, even though, even though, go ahead and pinch it. Ouch. It's very much alive. And it is against you. It is against you. Get two places in your Bible, Galatians 6 and John 19. Galatians 6 and John 19. Galatians chapter number 6. And John chapter number 19. Get those two spots, hold your finger there, and we'll be able to flip to the passages quickly. Galatians 6 and John 19. I think that one of the absolute greatest spiritual truths of our day, of any day, I think that one of the greatest spiritual truth, truths is the body of Christ, although trapped in the body of dead flesh, is alive unto God. Now, I want you to get a hold of that thought, because in Galatians chapter number six, the Bible says, watch what, watch what. Under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, Paul says here, but God forbids that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul said, I look out at the world and that world is crucified unto me. And I unto the world. And you think about the cross. In your mind. Just the bloody display of it. The crown of thorns. Christ on that cross. Nails driven through his hands. Nails driven through his feet. A spear piercing him. The mockery. All of that happening on the cross. And why did he do it? For you and for me. And we know that. And 1 Peter 3 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And we have to picture ourselves as, as the... Uh, those, those two side crosses, one on the left, one on the right, those criminals, they were the unjust. We have to picture ourselves on that cross as the unjust. But Jesus Christ in the middle was the just. What do you have? We all know this. We have the just dying for the unjust. You're a criminal. You don't have any rights. Jesus Christ is up on that cross. He gave up his rights for you and for me. But you don't just have death on that cross. There is a picture of resurrection. There is a picture of resurrecting life. He said, the world is crucified unto me. That's what Paul said. 
first Peter three, Christ, what that he might do what? Bring us where? To God. There's a there's a there's a place for us to go. And and we know that when we die. But there's a place for us to go now, and it's away from the flesh and living a life that's alive unto God in a resurrected picture, in a resurrected life. The cross draws someone. Go back, go to John 19. We'll see if I can tie these thoughts together a little better for you. John chapter 19. Look at verse number 25. John 19, verse 25. Bible says, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. It says, now there stood. Because you know who's gone? The multitudes are gone. The crowd's gone. The mocking is gone. The scourging is gone. The spitting is gone. All of it's gone. Now... At the foot of the cross, this is who we have left. You know where everybody else went? Back out into the world. <laughs> they don't want to behold the cross. They don't want to stay at the cross. They don't want to affix their eyes on the cross. They're going to go right back into that world and do what they've always done. What's that? Sin. And just like Paul says, the world is crucified unto me. It's a complete flipping of the picture. And he runs towards that cross. That crowd, that multitudes, they went right back into the world. Paul says, I've been out in the world. I've been living in the world. Now that world is crucified unto me. And I'm running to that front of that world. And my eyes are fixed on the cross. And that's what we got to get a picture of. We got to get that same picture. Who wants to stay and look at that? You need to reckon your flesh dead. And one of the ways is standing up and declaring to the world that you're crucified to me. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live. By the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. World, you're crucified to me. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in you. If you're a born-again child of God. And listen up, because this is this is this is key. The devil is fine. With you being a Christian. The devil is fine with you sitting in church. The devil is fine with. Almost anything you can think of. Except one thing. He does not want Christ in you. He wants you in a church house. That's fine. He wants you reading the Bible. That's fine. He wants you doing some religious things. That's fine. He does not want Christ in you because Christ living in you would cause you to live alive unto God. You know why we have so many dead church services? 
You know why we have a dead town? It's because God's people will live like Christ is in them. You've got to get a revival in your life and in your heart. We don't need better preachers. We don't need more churches. We need more church members who say to the world, you're crucified to me. The devil doesn't want Christ living in you. He doesn't want Christ in you. And you punch your time clock. Mediocre Christianity. Mediocre Christianity. Too many Christians find their safe little space to talk themselves out of living for Christ. It's a tragedy. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence daily live. Except you won't surrender all. And I won't surrender all. But we stand with our hymnal and we sing words of truth. As if we're going to live that truth. And we have no intention of living it. No intention. And some of us think because we were raised down south. Well, Sunday's just the right thing to do. We go to church. Well, and Monday it's work. And the right thing to do is not curse. Well. I'm telling you. The devil is okay with all of that. He doesn't want Christ living in you. He don't want it. He don't want it. We need church members. We need preachers that are alive unto God. Full surrender. But our day wants personal superiority. All of your love. All of your trust. Daily. Is it daily? Is Christ living in you? Is it a daily thing? And people wonder why there's so much deluded doctrine with overweight ministers. They're fat on the things of the world and their doctrine's deluded. I'm asking you the same question I'm asking me. Will you reckon your flesh dead? Completely dead? Daily. And will you get the realization that the devil doesn't want Christ living in you?
If any of you are like me, before you were saved, you always wanted your own way. You fought tooth and nail to have your own way. Do you realize if you're saved this morning, do you realize if you if you still think that way, you've got to get rid of that thinking. And if you're not saved and you're considering coming to Christ this morning, may I remind you, you don't get to have your way anymore. Jesus Christ has his way. Because the cross brings an end to your way. And in Romans chapter six, let's get our places back there. You have a choice. I have a choice. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's your choice, and it's the same choice that I have. Does everybody see that? Does everybody know where we are? We're in Romans chapter 6. Look at verse number 11. Read it. Read it along with me. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be what? Everybody say it aloud. To be what? Dead. If you want to reckon your flesh to be dead, sometimes you're going to need a little, uh, a little gumption. It's the lazy kid that's been eating potato chips and Twinkies and filled himself up on candy over the last month and the coach has to say get off your lazy butt and do another lap and the gym teacher has to say do 10 more push-ups because we've become fat and lazy and you have to reckon your flesh dead because it will just take it will take you over Do you have a bad temper? Reckon your flesh dead. Do you have bad language? Reckon your flesh dead. Are you a glutton? Well, I'm going to get myself a personal trainer. Okay, good. But also reckon your flesh dead. Because what happens when your personal trainer isn't there? The preacher or your prayer buddy or your... See? You need to reckon your flesh dead same way I reckon my flesh dead. I can reckon it dead for you now. You can reckon my flesh dead for me now. Parents can reckon their kids' flesh dead now. But what happens when those circumstances aren't there? You and I must personally reckon our own flesh dead, and we have to do it daily. Because Christ does not want, or because the devil does not want Christ, living in you you an in, are you an intellectual one of the intellectual proud you're so smart that you're sinful I mean no one's here as, as a drunk but some of us can get so doctrinally proud that you know what we got to do reckon ourselves dead I'm so sick and tired of everybody having all the answers, yet they won't live for Jesus Christ. 
I can't watch the news. I can't watch the political stuff because every time I turn it on within five minutes, I'm asking what in the world? This, this is bizarre. If people would just live like Christ lived in them, we wouldn't have a lot of the problems that we have. And you know what we as Christians are good at doing? Pointing the finger at the news, pointing the finger at the politics, pointing the finger at the colleges, pointing the finger at the world. And there's enough ping fingers to point. What Romans 6 is asking us all to do is take that finger and point it at ourselves. And reckon our own flesh dead. Dead. Christ loved people that were unlovable. Christ died for ungodly people. We are in the likeness of that. Well, I just can't deal with difficult people. Are you saved? If you are, get used to it. That's what this life is down here on earth. Dealing with difficult people. And the most difficult person is your flesh. you got to reckon it dead, dead, dead. Reckon your flesh dead. It's not so much self-denial as much as it's denial of self. What does that mean? Well, Ephesians talks about walking in spirit. So you don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So it's the idea that you have to try to almost stop trying to do the best you can. Because that's kind of the self-help thing with your flesh and the self-esteem and all that. And you have to start yielding and being led by another force. And it's not a force that you find in Star Wars. It's not a force that you find from a, a, a magnet drawing. You know, it's not a worldly force. The force is the Holy Spirit. You've got to yield to that. And as you walk in that and you yield to that, now you have Christ living in you. Christ is doing it because you can't do it. And I can't do it. We'll only do it in the power of our flesh. And that's going to wear thin. We must allow Jesus to take the wheel. And reckon our flesh dead. Too much self-indulgence. Too much fleshly gratification. And not enough. Pilgrim pathway walking. Are you a pilgrim? This world should be a stranger unto you. Are you a pilgrim? You look at that world, say that world's crucified unto me and I to it. And I want more of Jesus. I'm going to finish with this thought. Go to Matthew 28. Reckon your flesh dead. There is one point in history where every single force of darkness, every principality, every power, everything that's wicked came together, happily came together with one plan.
Because if they could pull it off, there would be no way for you and I to reckon our flesh dead. And if every devil can come to an agreement on how we can stop this, nobody would be able to live alive unto God. And nobody, nobody, no one could claim that Christ lived in them. The devil is fine with religious activity. He doesn't want Christ living in you. And there was one point in history where they all came together to try to squash the whole thing because they don't want Christ living in you. Matthew 28. And in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to, to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And guess who's in there? We all know. That's where Jesus was buried. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance, so it's, it's just a little side note here. Uh, the angel was a male. It wasn't a, a female sitting on there with wings like you see in some of the Hallmark cards. Okay. And your pre the, all the precious moment figurines. Angels in the Bible are described as men without wings. Just figured we throw that in there. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake. And became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And you've got something here in verse number two. The royal trumpet sounded. What's the royal trumpet? <laughs> That's the earthquake. That's when all the powers are coming together and they're trying to keep. I, I can just picture it now as I, as I try to imagine it. And as I try to get my mind wrapped around all these forces of darkness, what were they doing? They all trying to hold that stone there. All those evil powers coming together. And I can just see them now just pressing against it. We don't want to let Jesus out. We don't want to let Jesus out. We don't want to let Jesus out. Jesus is already out. And then that royal trumpet sound. Boom! The earthquake. That stone is moved. And I can just see them all going in there. He's wait, 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 wait. He's risen. He's risen. No force on this earth, no matter how hard they came together, was going to keep Christ on that cross and was going to keep that body in that tomb. No force on earth. When they moved that tomb away, that earthquake, moved, and, that, and that stone moved away from that tomb. It was to let people in to see what had already happened. It wasn't to let Jesus out. 
that one moment in history changed life for every person that has ever lived. And it says in verse 8, And they departed quickly from the sepulchral with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. And you had all doubt around that tomb. You have ladies bringing embalming materials. Why? Because of unbelief. You have everyone trying to keep that stone there. Why? Because they know. They know. Every evil power knows. Christ. Said he would rise again. And they don't want it to come to pass. Because they do. Every evil power. Does not want you to lay claim on. Christ lives in you. They don't want you to be able to say to your flesh. You're dead. And if they can keep Christ in that tomb. They win. But he defeated death. He won the victory and he died for you and he died for me. And so the life which I now live isn't my life. It's Christ that lives in me. A couple things I want you to get away from this message. Number one. Are you saved? If you are, then you have the power to say daily to your flesh, you're dead. Because Christ lives in you. Number two. Your life isn't to be lived for you anymore. Your flesh is reckoned dead. It is not about personal superiority. It is about Christ gets first place in every single thing. Does he? And if he doesn't, and if he doesn't in my life, You are wrong, and I am wrong, and we must get the thing right. You've got to reckon this dead, or it'll ruin your ability to live a victorious Christian life down here on earth. You'll only enjoy the benefit eternally because you're saved. But he rose from the grave. No one could keep him. He is alive. You can be alive. He defeated death. You can reckon your flesh dead. And you do it all because Christ lives in you. Last thing. Satan is fine with everybody sitting in church right now. 
He is fine with you reading your Bible. He's fine with you doing religious activity. He's even fine with you singing a hymn now or then. But what he is not okay with, and this is the dividing line about those that are going to get serious or those that are just going to punch the time clock. This is the dividing line. He doesn't want Christ living in you. He doesn't want your life to show it. He doesn't want you to live fully for Christ. He wants you to say Christian things. He wants you to quote Christian verses. He wants you to sing Christian hymns just to do it as a religious activity. He doesn't want you to live it, live it, live it, live it. You've got to make it. You've got to make some choices in your life. You've got to make some serious decision in your life and for your family, for your family. This is an encouraging message. Does Christ live in you? Then let's live for him.